Did I just say a bad word before we started recording? It's a good start. It's a sexy word. Good morning, Sarah Hepla. Good morning, Nancy Rommelman. Or should I call you Worldcoin? Oh, Jiminy Cricket. Oh, okay. So who would know? Maybe two people here know. Uh, the other day, I'm sitting on my couch. I think it was today's Saturday morning. I think it was Wednesday night, something like that. I get a text from a friend, maybe Tuesday, saying, uh, I think your Twitter's been hacked. I'm like, what? So I go on, and something called Worldcoin has posted under Nancy Rom. First of all, they've taken over my profile. So it's got their image and who they are and their link. And they have, I think, posted 2,400 tweets. And in each tweet, they're tagging like 30 people. So Worldcoin oh, got to work. Worldcoin does man. not sleep. They don't. They were hustling, man. And uh, go ahead. By the way, had. Did you have any idea what WorldCoin was? Well, I do now. I'll tell you why I do now. But first, let me just say, so first of all, I'm racking up new followers all over the place because WorldCoin has tagged, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. They're like, oh, shoot, I'm going to follow WorldCoin. But I can't. Like, what am I going to do now? Everyone's contacting or the, actually, they're not really contacting me because they can't contact me because I'm not, I'm not contactable anymore. It's WorldCoin. So, but other friends are, poor Matt is getting slammed. Does Nancy know? So I go on and I, I actually can get on. I, I, I take off their profile. I take off their like uh, website. I put, I changed my account name to this account has been hacked. And then I start to say, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be so pro who, who needs Twitter support? Because of course they, I, I contacted them and they're like, oh, change your password. I'm like, yeah, you know, I kind of did that. Um, right. So they're not going to do anything. So I'm like, oh, yo, I am so self-sufficient. I'm just going to delete all the tweets. You know how long it takes to delete 2,400 tweets? Well, I can't I even imagine. I don't either because I only got through probably about 300 of them. But anyway, um, the next day I couldn't do anything. I couldn't get on there. Then they thought I was the suspicious one because people had contacted them. And then this very, very, very nice dude on Twitter who I don't know, but we've DM'd a little bit, Joe White. He got on with me. We did a screen share. We turned on two-factor authentication, a couple other things. I have my account back. There's still a whole bunch of tweets up there, but I don't care. They're just being pushed down. I don't know if my old tweets are up there, but I did find out from Nellie Bowles, who puts out the great TJF on the free press every Friday, that WorldCoin is owned by the same dude that owns or started one of the founders of ChatGPT. So basically, they can all eat a bag, okay? I'm like, you don't, you need me? You need Nancy Rommelman to promote your new crypto coin, dude. So anyway, it's back. But It's the weirdest thing that this can happen. Well, look, I have never been. I, I've, def, I've had my identity stolen once. I had to, like, you know, work with the credit cards and do all that stuff and get some protection, all that. But, you know, you hear about, you hear about, like, yo, the crypto bots or whatever bots are going to take the, the porn bots are going to take over your account, get the two-factor authentication. I had not done it. I guess I would advise doing it. It's not hard. It's actually kind of cool too. So this guy, Joe White told me, he's like, oh, cause we did screen sharing. He's like, oh, you're on Chrome. I'm going to give you my 30 second um, spiel about why you should be on Safari instead. It'll take two minutes. Okay. He kind of convinced me because Safari does this cool thing where it you can get a strong password. You know, those passwords that make no sense and you'd never yeah, remember yeah, in yeah. a million years. It cre And then it remembers it for you. So like right now I go on Twitter, I go through Safari, I got a strong password. Nobody's going to guess it. I couldn't possibly remember it. Um, so anyway, that, you know, whatever it's done, but it was sort of the same day too, or maybe the day after that, um, that, uh, 
um, Elon Musk had decided he just was such a big fan of the the 1970s, 80s, 90s, and forever punk band X that he was going to appropriate their name. So I was like, dude, you're doing a great job here. We talked a little bit last time about like, what's the over under on how long Twitter is going to be around? What are they doing? Do they know what they're doing? Is it a matter of someone just being like flighty and impetuous and sometimes a little bit mad and a little vindictive? Who the hell knows? But I can't say it's becoming a better experience over there. Not for me, no. at least. <clears throat> Not at all. In in happier news, WorldCoin um, did slide into my DMs and we're dating now. Oh, are you? Actually, yeah. did, did I not actually blame your boyfriend, Marcus, for doing this for me? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, true. Yo, let's make it a family affair. Let me let me get in Nancy. Let me slide into Nancy's uh, Twitter. But um, yeah, so that was that tale. Seems to be fine now. But I would recommend, I mean, it's a pain in the butt, but it really only took a few minutes to do the two-factor authentication. Maybe it's worth it it, for you. It seems to be worth it for me. It's not a big deal. So anyway, Um, uh, the other news I have is PyTalk, after taking a uh, five-week hiatus, is back tomorrow morning. It's going to drop on Sunday morning. We're taping on Saturday right now with a, a listener request for eggplant parmesan. So... That'll be in uh that'll be a sliding eggplant parmesan. Yo, eggplant parmesan. For some reason I heard clam parmesan. Ew. I was like, well, that's weird. Well, yeah, I guess it could be. Um, yeah. Oh. So Smoking Diaries will return, but not this week because I'm sick. Oh. Is it possible that you gave me your sickness through the podcast? It's me I think it's just it's just empathy. Yeah. yeah, I have an empathic cold. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm better now, pretty much. Probably won't be coughing too Stop much. Stop bragging. Yeah. Um, so, Sarah Heppala, um, how are you besides sick? Oh, baby. I know. So pathetic. I just wanted a little sympathy right there. No, I'm fine. I'm good. Okay. Um, you, you, um, something happened the other day and you, I was really kind of, impressed and touched with what you did after we found out that Sinead O'Connor um, died at the age of 56. I don't know that we mm. know yet how she died, though there are, there are thoughts about that, but you immediately, um, you immediately did something that I thought was really, um, which moved me. So I thought you might, you might want to talk a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had, well, I had, uh, probably about a year ago, maybe a little bit more than that, I had downloaded her audiobook, Rememberings. And, um, you know, it's one of these things where it was recommended to me and and I just never quite found the time or the moment to, to listen to it. And when I heard the news that she died, it was like, now's the time. So I immediately queued it up. And took a long walk, and um, over the next day or two, listened to it. I, I would recommend it. It's it's about seven hours, and you know she is she is a an she's a nice storyteller. Um, she's very she's funny. You know, it's funny when when she was in the public eye. I thought of her as so humorless um, yeah. because she was such a strident person that was so focused on protest. But she's quite. She's quite a funny person. Uh, she has this lovely Irish sense of humor. Um, and I I listened to it. And, um, you know, one of the things she says, of course, this came out in, I think, 2020. Um, it might have been 2021. But, um, 
you know, one of the first things she says about in this book is my intention is not to have the ignorant tell my story when I'm gone. And so that felt like I had turned the right corner. Um, So I thought maybe I'd tell you a little bit about what it was like to read this book. If you want to hear a little bit. Yeah, I do. I do. About it. First of all, before we start, I'm curious what you what you thought of of Sinead O'Connor. I I can't say she had made the impression on me that she seems to have made on so many of my friends. I remember I saw um our our pal Megan Dam uh tweeted when she heard it like, "Oh my god." Like you could feel I had a lot of friends I could feel that they were so shook by what happened. She was someone who I thought was a beautiful singer, an interesting person physically just stunningly attractive i really didn't know i really didn't follow her story i didn't know anything about her the rest of her life after she was like uh, was so huge for a while did not know her son one of her children four children had committed suicide i think 18 months ago yeah i really didn't know anything about her i it was but it's interesting because the outpouring not just of, of fans but the people insinuating or or implying that there had been a real that she had not been seen properly for who she was was very apparent in 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 everybody's sort of remembrance and in essays and in obits and in Morrissey the thing that you sent me that Morrissey wrote Mm -hmm. which I was really you should talk about that a little bit because that really says something about us as the culture and 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 what we're seeing in the outpouring, and then I'm going to have some links in the episode notes about the making of the song. I, you do know who wrote "Nothing Compares to You," right? Yeah, of course I right. do. And she tells right. a really wild story about Prince in her um in her in her memoir. So you know he wrote it, and there's this just great tweet tweet thread that we'll include in the episode notes for paid subscribers. Go ahead and become a paid subscriber, guys. Um, she seems to have been a very deep, complicated, beloved, very talented person. I I will admit I, I did not follow her path there. So I would love to hear you talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the reasons, you know, Sinead O'Connor is particularly, uh, I think, resonant for people that grew up in, you know, the Gen Xers that were really deep into that. You know, she's, she's such a figure in the late 80s and early 90s and really this kind of weird girl poster child um one of the things she says in the documentary that I also watched about her which is called nothing compares um which is I watched it on Amazon Prime because I have sort of like a Paramount add-on or whatever I think I did that to watch Yellowstone um but there's a couple different places that you can watch it um very awkwardly by the way Prince didn't the Prince estate did not offer uh did not let her use the song nothing compares to you so even though the 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 movie is called Nothing Compares, um, they had to like have this workaround when they get to that part of her story. Yeah, whoops. So so uh, I'll I'll talk a little bit about her her tiff with with Prince and some of the reasons why that that might have happened. Um, but anyway, one of the things she says in that documentary that I thought was a great line was she said, "They tried to bury me. They didn't realize I was a seed." Um, oh. Whoa. Which is a really Whoa. cool line. And yeah, when she says that, they start, you know, showing you pictures of your Billie Eilish and your Lady Gaga. Um, you know, even Amy Winehouse and Britney Spears, who of course famously, you know, has a meltdown and shaves her head and 
Um, you know, there are all these ways that um, Sinead's kind of refusal to play the part of of the compliant pop star um, becomes becomes a, a model that that several of our kind of most epic performers, female performers in the 21st century have followed in some ways. Um, and this was in the book or in the, in the, that was in that particular line was in the documentary that I watched. Okay. Nothing compares. Okay. Um, so in rememberings, I think, um, you know, by the way, also, if you get the audiobook, you get her voice and let me just tell you something. Do you, I don't know if you remember this, but her voice was so childlike and girl-like when she was younger. Um, of course, you know, I, I had forgotten or maybe it had been lost on me because I was young as well. You know, she was 20 years old when she came to fame. Um, okay. She's 22, 23. She's so young and she had this little voice um, and she was very shy and her voice, um, you know, she's a chain smoker and she's in her fifties. And when the, when the audiobook first started, I was like, oh damn, I was hoping she'd like she'd be the one narrating it, but it is her. It's just this, you know, far more robust, lowered by at least an octave voice. Um, but, uh, you know, so she was born in 1966 in Ireland and she's the third of four kids. Um, one of the, one of the best parts of this book is her talking about, her childhood and being uh, drawn to music in this kind of mystical way. She talks about, um, you know, seeing a piano when she was younger and the piano says to her, help me, help me. I can't get out unless you play me. Um, She says, you know, she thought of songs as ghosts as the, you know, they're ghosts of the things people don't want to remember. And of course she's, living in Ireland in the 60s and 70s. It's a very troubled time. She writes about um, writing songs in her head to the rhythm of the rocking chair as she helped her grandfather fall asleep. It's it's very dear. Um, you know, but she had a very troubled childhood. Her parents split when she was 75, um, in 1975 when she was nine years old. Um, and her mother, you know, they didn't really have mental health resources. So her mother just kind of gets diagnosed with a madness. You know, it's sort of like, there's nothing you can do. You're just going to have to live through this. Um, her father gets custody, but she, she's very attached to her mom and she ends up running back and living with her mom for several years, but she has these fantasies of other people being her parents. Um, the person that she, uh, decides is going to be her surrogate father is Bob Dylan. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, Um, but her mom was, was abusive. And this is something that she talked about pretty openly at a time when, um, it, I think it was, it I don't want to say she was one of the first people that, that talked about this or it was pioneering in any way, but it was still a little bit unusual. The bluntness with which she talked about her abusive childhood. She writes in the book that she won the prize in kindergarten for being able to curl up into the smallest ball, but nobody knew why she could do it so well. Um, you know, again, her mother was a um, very volatile figure. At one point, her her brother tries to run away, and her mother puts Sinead in the front seat and decides that she's going to kill them, them both, and she smashes into a tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, they 
she winds up unhurt, but this is the childhood that she came from. Um, she ends up going to live with her dad at 13, but she winds up in a, in a, I guess what you would call a reform school that's run by nuns, uh, which is a difficult place. A lot of, uh, girls lost there, but, um, but that's where she learns guitar from a nun who works there and kind of saves her life and, um, nurtures this beautiful gift that she has. And, um, her mother dies in a car accident, uh, when Sinead's 18 and she had hit black ice on the way to mass. And that early death is something that really haunts her entire career. And, um, you know, a lot of her songwriting is about that death. It's very interesting when, when children that were so violently abused also have that really strong, deep attachment to the parent. Oh, yes, because I've seen this um, firsthand, not so much in terms of abuse, but parents who have um, addictions and how much the child wants to try to fix mom or dad, you know, in, in like yeah. by, by being super good or by making sure that they're comfortable or just making sure that you're being super quiet because then, you know, daddy's not going to get upset. Um, you, you do, you take on, you, you think, and I, I guess I know a tiny bit about this. You think it's yours to fix and you're very young and the only ways you know how to fix it are by being um, entertaining or being very, very quiet or always making sure that you're the person that's going to make everything okay. And I think for people that are, you know, are in a seriously abusive situations like she is, you do try to figure those out for your parent. I'm sure that some children don't, but I, I've seen that firsthand. And um, I think it's a very, it, it, it just shows the sort of deep, deep wells of, of empathy and love that they're, they're striving to both give and, and get. I think you're right. I, I think there is just something deeply unresolved uh, in, in the person that they're trying to go back and fix something, fix some hole inside of themselves. Um, so, so she finds her place in music. She talks quite a bit about, you know, she might've become a priest. Uh, she has a lot of problems with the the church, but she's drawn to scripture. Um, she might've become a priest, but she is, um, but she can't be a priest. She can't be a priest. She's a woman. And so what she does that's holy is to, to kind of work through song. Um, when she's, uh, you know, briefly before her mother dies, she places an ad to be a singer. She had she had sung with her brother's band for a little bit, and she places an ad to be a singer, and she ends up in this band, and it's discovered by a label, and the label is kind of like, we don't really care about the band. We kind of just care about you. Mm. Um, kind of so like in Linda, 19- Ron- Linda Ronstadt and Stone Pony. Yeah, yeah. right, yeah. right. So at 18 years old, she's signed to a label um, in 1985 and she goes to London and she starts recording her first album. And that's when the label, being the label, suggests that she dress sexier and wear more makeup. I mean, she was kind of a punky, punky young girl, right? And so it's kind of like, yeah, you need to... to Tart it up, baby. Tart it up. You're about to be broken by a big label. And of course, what does she go do? Yeah. Well, she shaves her head and looks stunningly gorgeous. 
She tells a funny story about getting that that um that hair cut. You know, she goes to a barber and apparently the barber was just like really freaking out and kept saying it's not right to do this to a girl. And was so worried about her father and her brother coming in, like, beating him up. I mean, it's really interesting to think about, yeah, okay, like, this is 1986. And it's like, this is, you know, this guy is having, like, a visceral fear. Um, That's wild. That's wild. I love, I kind of love that. It's a really cool story. Um, And, uh, you know, one of the things I didn't realize is that she gets pregnant while recording that album. She had four children. She has four children. Ultimately, this is the first of her children. And, you know, the record company tries to. No. Yeah. Oh, yes. The record company, you know, somebody is dispatched to kind of talk to her and say, you know what? We've put one hundred thousand dollars into this album. Um, You know, you're going to need to. um to do something about this. Well, good. Yes, I'm going to have a baby. That's what I'm going to do about it. And so she walks away from the album. This is wow. the breaking point for her. She walks away from the album. And and can you imagine, I mean, being 20 years old, you've got a record label telling you you owe them $100,000. You're about to have a child. I mean, you know, look, I don't know if this... It, it's it's brave it's defiant it's crazy it's you know i don't know but this woman lives by her own well it, by it, her it, the beat of her own drummer it could be seen as all of those things but also um it's that's not a choice i mean i in meaning you're if i'm looking at that and i'm her at that age and of course i'm extrapolating i have no idea it wasn't there but it's like it would be like are you kidding me you're telling me that, oh, I have to do this. Yeah. So whatever, we'll just do it for the work. And you're going to get rid of this thing you don't want to get rid of. And you want, I'm assuming she wanted this child. She kept the child. No, there's no, there's not even $10 million. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. She had, so I was, someone was telling me this yesterday, four children, first one at age 20, last one at something like age 44 or something or something like that, and she did lose one child, and I think four dads, which I, I find really fascinating. Yep, I, four different dads. I was trying to put myself in that position, like, I and I know this sounds ridiculous, it's just, I don't know her life, but this is just a purely, it's like, how interesting, how interesting to have all these people, like, in your life, and part of the life, and the life of your family, and the life of the children, just, I find this fascinating, fascinating. Yeah, it's it's definitely a less conventional life. I mean, at some point, her father comes to her and says he kind of envies the way that she's put her life together. Yeah. Um, now, uh, she she just had an, a lot more freedom than than he ever did. Now, of course, um, you know that came with a lot of problems as well. Oh, sure. So you know, they end up they 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 go back and they they record the album all over again. Um, Of course, this becomes The Lion and the Cobra. It becomes a big hit. It's nominated for a Grammy, uh, but it's her second second album that really breaks her big. And of course, that's called I Do Not Want What I Have Not Got, which is a line that her mother said to her in a dream. Mm. Um, Oh, Oh, man. She she tells the story of, of... of filming the video for nothing compares to you. This was really interesting. They filmed it at a couple different, you know, they did one that was close up. They did one that was full body. They filmed it in a park. There were all sorts of things that they were putting together. Uh, There was one take where 
you know, it was on the close up. And she says that when she was singing that song, she was talking to her mother. You know, of course, for most of us, that song is, you know, is a love song about a relationship, you know, a, 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 you think she's talking to a guy that left her, right? Um, but for her, it was the song where she was always, she was always kind of communing with her mother. And she gets to a line, you know, all the flowers that you planted, mama, in the backyard. And that's where she cries. And when she finishes it, she thinks, oh my God, I've just screwed this up. You know, this, I've made it unusable. I've wasted everybody's time. Um, of course, that's the the video that that catapults her kind of into the stratosphere. But it also coincides with a time when she's becoming much more interested in in protests, you know, and that's becoming, you know, she she wanted to be a protest singer. She was never really interested in 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 being a pop singer. Um you know, the one the one it, there's a very strange story about Prince. Like I said, you know, uh, of course, Prince did write the song Nothing Compares to You. There's a very bizarre story where she's in Los Angeles and he calls her and summons her to his to his mansion. And she sets it up with all these like she's being driven there and the guy that's driving the car won't talk to her and the person that opens the door. Hello, Smoke Lady Gotham listeners. If you are hearing this, that means you have just listened to the free portion of our Oh, I don't know. Bi-weekly episodes with Sarah Hepla. Sarah Hepla, who's just so busy right now, she could not record this little uh, interim moment for you. Um, we're happy to have you here as a free subscriber. If you'd like the entire episodes, please go over to smokeempodcast.substack.com and sign up and subscribe. Then you will get the full episodes every week, plus some special things we drop for you on the weekends and our monthly, our first Sunday Zooms. Again, to get the full fig, that is smokeempodcast.substack.com. Thanks. <laughs>